merchants and grooms. I willed our brother Surin to be among them, to have attached himself to this caravan and returned to us. But the last of the travellers passed, and no Surin. I was reaching for Babak's hand to lead him away, not wanting to look at him, not wanting to see what was gone from his eyes, when I noticed a jostling up ahead by the fruit seller's market. There was shouting and cursing and an exchange of blows, a circumstance made in heaven for us. Move your feet, Babak, I said. In a trice I had slipped three pomegranates beneath the folds of my tunic and stripped a sack of dates from a fair-haired Scythian nomad with blue tattoos. The fracas suddenly veered in our direction. The Scythian stumbled, fell, flattened Babak beneath him. It was then, I now realize, when Babak was pinned beneath the Scythian, when I was kicking the Scythian's back to get him to move, that the man's fur cap fell off. Babak must have tucked it into his sash. That night, back in the city of the dead, Babak pillowed his head on Link's fur and dreamed. Not of food, but of a birth, a happy occasion, a boy. He recognized the Scythian in the dream, someone bringing him the baby, settling it in his arms, someone saying, Father. Babak dreamed the dream, he told me, as if the Scythian himself were dreaming it. By chance we caught sight of the man near the rope-maker's market the next day, and before I could stop him, Babak sang out, A boy! It will be a boy! A healthy boy! Sst! I said, and snatched up Babak's hand and ducked him behind a donkey, behind a spice merchant, behind a crumbling wall, and tried to lose ourselves in the crowd before the Scythian could catch us. But he did. As it happened, the Scythian didn't recognize Babak from the day before. As it happened, the stolen cap and dates were the last things on his mind. As it happened, he was hoping for tidings, though not from a marketplace waif. As it happened, his wife was expecting a child. This dream of my brother's was a good omen, he said, when he had pried it from us. Then he handed Babak a copper, with which we bought food, something I had never done in all the fourteen years of my life. Chapter 2 Hope This dream, I asked Babak later, squatting on the rough floor of our cavern, licking the last sweet drops of melon juice from my fingers. Have you been visited by other such? Dreams of Surin, maybe, dreams of things to come. A draught stirred the lamp flame, shadows swam across the cave walls, then settled back round the edges of the chamber. In the distance I could hear the nighttime sounds of these old caves, a leper's bells, an echoing cry, and the constant soft shufflings and murmurings from near and from deep. High up where the cave opened to air glimmered a small patch of stars. I don't know, Babak said. He wiped sticky fingers on his tunic, Pomegranate juice ringed his mouth. He reached for a chunk of goat cheese. How can you not know a thing like that? Babak shrugged his thin shoulders. He held out a crumble of cheese to the kitten he had smuggled into our chamber without my seeing. 
a kitten with one eye scarred shut. Don't feed it, I said. We've nothing to spare. There's vermin aplenty. Let it catch its own. But it's hungry. Of course it was hungry. All of the miserable souls who lived in these caves were hungry. And the ones who survived were those who took care of themselves, not every wretch and stray that came along. Have you ever dreamed of Surin? I persisted. Of when he will come for us? Of where he is? Of what he has found? Our older brother had left forty-two days before, according to the scratches I'd made on the wall. I'd pressed him to find work in a caravan bound for Susa, where we used to live. Surin knew where our father had buried caskets of gold coins. All he had to do was dig them up and return to us. Surely he could manage that. Then we could all book passage on a caravan to Palmyra, where, we had heard, our kinsmen had fled. "'I dream of you sometimes, sister,' Babak said now. "'Of eating food with you. Sometimes Surin is there. I used to dream of mother.' Mother. Women screaming, soldiers through the gate, the flash of sun on swords, mother calling, Surin, come!' I closed my eyes, pushed it away. You would think, after all this time, that the edge would have dulled, or at least that you'd be ready for it, not pierced, capsized, and sinking every time. How did you dream of her? I asked. Of where she is now? Was it Palmyra you dreamed of, or only... Only as she was, he answered. Before, in Susa, when she was with us... Babak was looking up at me, his eyes huge and grave in the flickering lamplight. I willed the worry from my countenance so that he would not absorb it into himself. I didn't know much about dreams, hadn't been visited with one in years, but I had heard that they can come from different places, that some of them foretell things and some do not, that some of them come from the wise God or other gods, I had heard that as well. These foretelling dreams did not visit everyone, but only a few. Might Babak be one of them? Something stirred inside me, how to find out. Old Zoya knew about dreams, but the mere thought of asking her pricked my pride. Besides, she'd exact a price. Babak, this is important. Have you had any other dreams of things to come, even about strangers? I don't know. Babak hunched over the kitten, turning his back to me. I had pressed too hard. He scratched the kitten behind its ragged, flea-bitten ears. It began to purr, still licking his cheese finger with its tiny pink tongue. I sighed. If Babak didn't want to tell me now, I couldn't drag it out of him. Mule-headedness ran raging through our family like a river in spring flood. Even Babak, the most tender-hearted boy alive, was not exempt. And yet this dream, this dream of the baby. Perhaps we might put it to good use. Perhaps I might turn dream into coin another time and perhaps scrape together passage. Then, when Surin returned, whether or not he had found the hidden gold, we could go there. Palmyra. I breathed in deep and felt it stir again, warming the cold, empty spaces.
hope. Chapter 3. Poultry Gift Later that night, when Babak and the kitten were asleep, I counted out the last of the dates, hesitated, put four back, then tucked the rest into my sash. I crept backward, lamp in hand, down the dark, narrow tunnel that led from our chamber. It was a snug fit. I discovered the passage when, after fleeing Susa, we first came into Reiji and needed a place to go to ground. I had crept up and found the small room which opened to air high up on the cliff, too high to be reached from outside. Surin was too big to squeeze through the tunnel. But I can find another cavern to sleep in, he had said. What matters is that you and Babak will be safe. Much of the time it was fairly safe in these caves, known as the City of the Dead, because of the bones left here in ossuaries long ago. Still, you had to keep your wits about you. Strangers did venture in from time to time, but no one came here any more to honour the bones of their dead. Even the descendants of these dead were dead. Most beggars preferred to dwell within the walls of Reiji, in some abandoned hovel, or in the ruins of an old palace. The air was fresher there, not stale and full of death. There were no bones from crumbled ossuaries rolling about loose and rattling beneath your feet. Only those who must hide from other beggars, unprotected women, the sick or crippled, the very young or very old, lived in these ancient caves. At the end of our tunnel I paused, listened, then made my way in the flickering gloom through a chain of tall caverns and narrow passageways.